0: Thank you. I don't mean to brag or anything, but my high school letterman jacket still fits like a glove. (laughs) Graduated five years ago, and it's amazing um, that this still fits. Yeah, so this, this is my high school letter jacket. Man, this is nice. The arms don't move. I don't know what material this is or was, but I'm like the tin man, can't move in it. Things are a little faded, a little messed up, but it still fits, I still save it. You say, why, why would you save your high school letterman? Let because how else am I gonna impress my wife? <laughs> I mean, like this is legit right here, right? Now, can you imagine for real, like can you imagine If I were to wear this thing around on a regular basis as a part of my normal attire, like we go grab lunch one day and I pull up, like it's 1993, like I get out of my Mazda Miata, right? Pulling up, listening to Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer, right? And and then, and then I get out and I'm wearing this thing, like you would be like, oh man, that's hilarious. And I'd be like, no, man, this is, this is how I roll. Like, that, would be, that would be weird. Like, can you imagine this past Monday, like Valentine's Day, me rolling up to my house at 5.30, hopping out, saying, hey, babe, all right, come on, it's time for dinner, let's go. Be strutting in, right? She'd be like, where are you taking me tonight? I'm taking you to Ponderosa. <laughs> okay, that's how we used to be. That's how we used to do it back when this jacket was cool, right? And I went to Ponderosa because I couldn't afford Ryan's. Okay, anybody with me on that, right? And if, if you're here and you're watching us online and you're young enough, you don't know Ponderosa or Ryan's, you missed the greatest era in American food. Okay, you missed it. It's gone, it's never coming back, all right? The Golden Corral got nothing on a little Ponderosa. So can you imagine, like, if I were to be rolling around town in my high school Letterman Jagged, like, hey, this is cool, like, if my identity in some way were still tied to who I was in high school, right? Like, that would be, I think we could all agree, like, that would be a little awkward. (laughs) It would be a little disconcerting, like, someone literally still living in their past from high school. All right, some of you, if you were to do that, would have jackets to where you'd be walking around looking like John Travolta in Greece, okay? And ain't nobody need to see that. Nobody need to see Olivia Newton-John running around town, okay, in your hot rod. Like, can you imagine somebody literally walking around town today wearing a jacket, like seriously wearing it that's, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40 years old. Like, this is my identity. This is who I am. Like, that would be absurd, right? We just, we don't, we don't, we don't do that. Like, we've all kind of moved on from those years. And truthfully, I don't think too many of us want to go back. (laughs) And so that's what makes. Our, our time in Ephesians today is so fascinating because actually the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the, to the church in Ephesus, you know, nearly 2000 years ago, he's, he's actually contrasting for us what it's like to live in the present as a Christ follower while still wearing a bunch of stuff from your past that used to define you, that used to be a part of your identity, but that's not anymore. You think, okay, what does this look like spiritually for me to wear my high school letter jacket? Like, okay, well, it means like 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, Jesus saved you, he gave you new life, but today you're no more generous than you were before you came to Jesus. You don't see what you work for as a means of being a blessing to others. You see it as a means of just blessing yourself. Like your conversation and communication with others is not that much different today than it was five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago before you came to Jesus. Like you're still easily prone to tear others down. You're still easily prone to, um, to exaggerate the truth. You're still easily prone to say things that um, are, are vulgar or, or they're destructive or divisive. Like there's not that big of a change. Like if we look, five, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and we look today, like you're kind of still wearing the same thing you were wearing back then. Like, like like, you look at some things in your life and you realize, okay, man, there are some things that should be radically different, but they're not radically different. Like they're actually kind of the same in some ways. And, and what, what, what I believe King Jesus is going to say to us through this letter that Paul wrote to the church today is like, hey, if you're a Christ follower today, God has given you new life. He's caused you to be born again. How did Jesus speak of this conversion to to new life in Christ. He said, you have to be born again. Spiritually, it's like you are made brand new. And literally when, when, when you are walking with Christ, you are walking literally in new life. And let me just give you a quick takeaway here today. All right, listen, new life leads to new living. And so as you look at your life today, You ought to see that some of the things that defined your life before you came to Jesus, some of the things to which you tethered your identity before you came to Jesus, some of the things that were indicative of how you lived before you came to Jesus, those things should be gradually changing and being eliminated from your life. Here's here's the message Paul's given the church. The new man, Can't keep living like the old man. And this thing is hot. <laughs> Thanks, bed. Although you, you should be thanking me. I'm just saying. You see, the, 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 the new in you, if you're a Christ follower today, is, is a new that leads to not only new life, but new living. It's a radical thing. And it's not that we're like immediately and forever transformed at the moment of our conversion because we still live with the old man. There's still this battle and this tension, but here's, here's the amazing things what Paul's gonna focus on today. The new in you, the spirit in you is going to be moving and growing and increasing the new in you so that the old is diminishing and going away. And as a result, you and I have a challenge for truly walking with Jesus today. We have a challenge that we have to make it a priority every single day of our lives to take off the old and put on the new. We we, we can't be living like we lived 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago before we knew Jesus. We, we, We can't be characterized by the old, tying our identity to the old living our lives like the old. Here's a challenge Paul's gonna give us today. We gotta take off the old and we gotta walk in the new. And, and it's not easy to do, but it's, a, it's, it's essential, okay? And so if you have a copy of God's Word, go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We're gonna look at the end of this chapter today. You remember last week we, we talked about the importance of unity. Paul now turning the corner from all this great truth, all this great doctrine, the fact that Jesus has saved us by his grace, he's made us alive, right? He's raised us up, he's seated us in heavenly places. He's talked about the depth of prayer. We have immediate access to God. He's walked us through all these great doctrinal truths. And last week we turned a corner because he really is getting into the practical now. He's saying, okay, here's how all this stuff relates to your life. And and the first place that it relates to your life is in your fellowship with other people. We talked about the importance of unity. Today, Paul's gonna give us a second takeaway of the results of this new life in Christ. Not only does it bring unity, it should also bring purity unity and purity, the church living together and living in a way that is connected to new life. Now now remember, Paul's writing to largely Gentiles, largely men and women who didn't have a Jewish background. They came out of uh, the, the city of Ephesus, which was one of the largest, most strategic cities in the first century. Ephesus was an amazing city it was an influential city it was marked by secularism and perversion listen you, you you may not know this one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was located in ephesus the temple of artemis if you've never seen a, a rendering of, of the temple of Artemis, let me show you what it, what it looked like, something about what it looked like. You can still go actually and see some of these ruins even today, but the temple of Artemis there in Ephesus was a magnificent structure. I mean, it was like the focal point of the city. It was an indication of the wealth that was located in Ephesus, like the, the, the mind power to construct something like this. It was, it was um, of course, a uh, reflection of their 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 belief system, the fact they believed in all of these different Greek gods, Artemis was the daughter of Zeus and all of this so they, 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 they it's just they, this was an incredible city. Ephesus was like a major power, a major city, influential and and it was very secular, it was very very uh, perverse in so many ways. And so you got now all of these people come into faith in Christ. And Paul's saying, hey, Jew or Gentile doesn't matter. Like you're one now in Christ. And, and he's turning a corner from that unity to talk about purity, saying as one, as members of the body of Christ, here's the thing, your lives are gonna be different the old that characterized you before you came to Jesus, the old that was rooted in your culture, the old that was rooted in your secularism, the old that was rooted in your perversion, like that that, that's the old, you gotta take that off and you gotta keep taking it off and you gotta press into the new of who Christ is and what he's doing for you. The old is gone. And, and so this is a fascinating conversation as Paul makes this application, because again, he's writing to these people who were, who were first-generation Christ followers in this influential, secular, perverse culture. And, and he's talked about unity. Now he's gonna talk about purity. And listen, there's, there's gonna be something different about every single Christ follower. No person can ever come in contact with the saving power of Jesus and remain the same. <laughs> the, the old, the old is going to get worked on. The Holy Spirit's not like going to let the old man hang around without a fight. And so we've got to focus on the new. Now, here, here's how Paul breaks this down for us, really in three sections, okay? Because Paul was a good preacher, and everybody knows if you're a good preacher, you have three points. So Paul kind of has, right? Paul kind of has three part of his argument here in this latter part of chapter four—it's pretty cool. It's, its pretty easy to follow. Let me—let me show you the first part here that—that that relates to, to uh, this new identity in Christ. He says, "Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord: You should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility." of their thoughts. Here, by referencing Gentiles, Paul is talking about all of these secular unbelievers in Ephesus, right? Most of the church came out of that context. Paul's saying uh, the unbelieving world, like you should no longer live like the unbelieving world lives. Like that's not you anymore. Like you're new, right? You've been, you've been, brought to life, raised up, seated in heavenly places. All right, so then he continues in verse 18, and he says this, for they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of their of the hardness of their hearts. So these two things work against every single unbeliever, even today, by the way, ignorance, unbelief. The hardness of their hearts. They're not open to the message of Christianity. They're not open to a Jewish Messiah coming to redeem people from their sins through his substitutionary death and his bodily resurrection. They're not even open to the conversation, right? They're entrenched in their belief system and they are also ignorant. They literally just don't know better. They think that the lives that they're living, like they're good. They just—they don't see the need for God. And so you put these two things together and it's devastating, it's crippling. They're not open to a conversation about Christianity. They're not open to a conversation about eternal life. And Paul is saying, for those of you who've been delivered out of that, your lives ought to look a whole lot different. Right, and so so he continues. Here's how he kind of wraps up this first section. He says, they have become and they are callous and they've given themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity. Now check this out. I think we often kind of gloss over this. I think this is huge though. With a desire for more and more. So what characterizes the lives of unbelievers? Well, ignorance, unbelief. Don't see their need for God, not open to a conversation about it. And so how do they live their lives? Well, they live their lives however they choose to do it for their own betterment and fulfillment. That's how every single one of us lives our lives apart from God's intervention. He's looking out for number one, right? (laughs) That's how all of us live. And Paul, notice what he's saying. He's saying saying these people, he's kind of setting the stage here for what's next. He's he's talking about essentially like, listen, new life leads to new living. And one of the marks of these unbelievers is that they're pressing into their ignorance. They're pressing into their unbelief. How do you know? Because of what's coming out of their lives. Impurity, greed, selfishness. Like we're gonna see like like their lives are different. Their lives are marked by... Corruption, sin, destruction. And, 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 and notice, I just love this at the end of this. This is huge. And Paul says that, that they keep pressing into this, wanting more and more. Can I, can I just remind you, especially if you're new to Christianity today, this is huge. Listen to me very, very carefully. Sin never fully satisfies. Amen. Now it'll satisfy in the moment, but it won't satisfy for a lifetime. You have to have more and more and more. When I think about that statement, I think it's profound. Paul kind of pinpointing the mark of someone who's pressing into their old man, right? Like we're we're trying to gain our fulfillment, our identity through sin, through disobedience to God, like through our own selfishness, right? And what happens? You have to have more and more and more. Sin never fully satisfies. Here's what it does it deceives us into having temporal fulfillment at the risk of eternal judgment. Sin will give you temporal fulfillment. You know what's going to cost you? Eternal judgment. And that fulfillment you get in the moment, right? Or in that brief season. Like it may be enough to satisfy you in that moment or in that brief season, but it won't keep you there. Like you gotta have more and you gotta have more and you gotta have more and you gotta have more. And and that's how sin works. Listen, uh, let, let me tell you about something that that I was introduced to recently, all right? I was with one of my kids who's a coffee connoisseur and I don't, I don't drink coffee. I don't really drink a lot of caffeine. I found I don't really need a lot of it. And I just... Um, you know, I just, I just kind of, I don't know, my life's pretty boring, I guess, other than my Letterman jacket's pretty cool. But, um, so, okay, but I had, so I was taking one of my kids through, through Dunkin' Donuts, and what attracts me about that is the donut part of that, because I can get on some donuts Now, <laughs> Sugar, I got no problem, with Sugar and I get along great, amen? Can I get an amen there? All right, come on. But the coffee part of it, okay. And but I was thirsty. I thought, ah, you know, I'm gonna try some. And I and I'm like, oh, what can I get? Like, is there something for me, right? Like, don't discriminate against a non-coffee drinker, Duncan. And they haven't, <laughs> because they have a thing called a frozen coffee. Which, if you don't know what that is, it is a coffee milkshake is essentially what it is, okay? It's like a frappuccino. Here's what they do. They take a bag of sugar and they pour it in a cup and they have some kind of coffee flavoring, right? And then they whip it up and put some ice in it and they give it to you. And it's just like this magnificent, like sugar high. That It is amazing. It has changed my life. And so I'm not kidding you, like the last few weeks, like I'm driving to work in the morning, Mm, man, I'd like to have one of those milkshakes. I mean, frozen coffees, man, that would, be, that would be great. And then, and so I would, and I'm like, man, there's like a lot of other people who want this too. I'm not waiting in line. And I discovered the app. Now I have the Dunkin' app. I'm a rewards member. I'm getting perks left and right, baby, right? I'm ordering in advance. I'm swinging in, picking up my milkshake, going to work. I'm living the dream, throwing on that jacket, baby. I am a high roller. It's amazing, my wife said to me the other night, she said, do you realize how much you spend on Dunkin' Donuts? I'm not kidding you, $14,874, just this past month on Dunkin' Donuts. It's amazing, right? And like the first time I had one, like I was like, oh man, that's, that's good. I told, I told you know, my, 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 uh, my, my daughter, I was like, man, that is, that's amazing. That's really, really good. And here's the thing, I went, I went like a week or two and then I was like, you know what? Uh, that was good, I mean, and, I, and, then, and then I got another one. I'm like, man, that's amazing. So then I went a couple days. And now I go a couple hours in between. I'm just, and it's like, oh man, you get that. And it's like, yeah, you know, and, and just listen to me. That's how sin works, right? Like, like there's fulfillment in the moment, but not in a lifetime. And you have to have more and more and more. And, and what's the end result? It controls you, you're controlled by it. And that's the old man. The old man is governed by sinful desires. That's what Paul's pressing into here. He's saying, don't walk as the Gentiles do, darken in their understanding because of their ignorance and the hardness of their hearts. He says, they're given, they've given themselves over to every type of sin, promiscuity, right? Like this is how the old man lives. The old man is always running after the frozen coffee. Like there's always something, like there's always something you gotta have to bring that, that fulfillment in that moment or that season. And you gotta have more and more, it's never enough. And then all of a sudden, here's the beauty of our conversion, right? We, we meet Jesus and we realize, my goodness, Jesus really is enough. Like, that's what I need, my sin to be forgiven, the hope of eternal life, living now with meaning and purpose, guided by his Holy Spirit. I'm made new, I'm brought to life. I'm raised up, seated in heavenly places. My life has meaning and purpose now. And and I'm moving forward. And Paul's saying, now, as you're moving forward, there are some things about that old man that should not be true of the new man. Constantly chasing the next. And so let me give you a little axiom I've, I've found to be helpful, just thinking about my life and think about your life. Check this out if you pursue happiness over holiness, you will get neither. But if you pursue holiness over happiness, you get both. And here's the lie that our culture sells if you really want to be happy, pursue happy. And if you need to get happy without getting holy, then that's fine. That's what you do. That's ignorant, deceptive thinking. Let me tell you how you truly grasp joy or happiness, you pursue holiness. You live according to God's design. You live according to God's plan. You govern your life based on God's parameters and his wisdom and his purpose and his goodness. And when you live that way, all of a sudden you find yourself to be in a place of joy and fulfillment that is truly eternally satisfying. And so Paul's saying, don't, don't be like these Gentiles, right? Don't be like these unbelievers. Don't, don't live like they live. Here's a, here, so here's the second thing he says. Go, go, to, go, go to verse 20, okay? And, and here's kind of like the second half of it. He just said, but that is not how you came to know Christ, right? You didn't come to know Christ Selfishly, like you came to know Christ out of desperation, right? He says in verse 21, he says, Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off, check this out, here's what you got to do. You got to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and you need to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And then you need to, check this out, this is our responsibility every single day. Put on the new self. You've got to put it on. I mean, you gotta be involved in this, right? You gotta put, the spirit of God now has enabled you to do this. Put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Pursue holiness, get happiness. You you see, here's what Paul's saying. You've gotta take off the old, put on the new. And that's a daily process. That's just the daily process. That, that's, that's the challenge that we have. You know what he says elsewhere? I, I love it. Paul says, here's what he says. You look at the old man, okay? That identity you used to have, right? The life you used to live. Here, here's what Paul says elsewhere. He says, you have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. You know what Paul says? You're in a battle and it's a battle that's, um, that, that you gotta be serious about winning. There's some things you need to put off there's some things you need to put on. And can I just point out to you, it's both. So often we look at our lives and maybe the spirit brings conviction and we think, you know what? Yeah, I gotta get, man, I need to work on this. I need to grow in this. Okay, that's normal. But if we only focus on what we have to release and not focus on what we have to replace it with, we're shortchanging ourselves. It's, listen to me, it's a putting off and a putting on. That's the importance of being gathered with God's people on a regular basis. That's the importance of being in the word of God. That's the importance of our prayer life. That's the importance of, of serving and being a part of God's work in the world. Listen, it's not just about putting off. You also have to put something on to replace it. So you've got to take off, you got to put on. I, 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 love, I love the analogy that Paul uses here. It's so practical. It reminds me of... of um, <laughs> of my very first job, my very first job in all the world was I worked at uh, Taco Bell in high school and uh, and had a great time. One of the perks of working for taco Bell when when I was in high school is uh, free tacos. I think they were forty nine cents at the time, but still I mean it was it was amazing. One of the bad things about working at Taco Bell in high school is that I came home every night smelling like taco Bell <laughs> and it was not pleasant. <laughs> And I just remember I couldn't wait to get home, right? And like, oh man, I got like beans on my pants and my shirt and, um, you know, sour cream because they were in these gun things. We used to have fights and stuff. I don't think that was allowed, but it was awesome. And um, all kinds of other things I probably shouldn't talk about. Okay, and then I get home, right? And then it's like, it's like, man, my clothes just reek. I mean, I don't know if you ever had a job like that. Like it, they would just reek and I couldn't wait. Like I got to take them off and put something else on that doesn't stink and that's the analogy that Paul is using there are some things about your old man your old self that no offense stinks it's harmful to you it's harmful to your marriage it's harmful to your family it's harmful to your career you're wearing some stuff that frankly just stinks and Paul's saying you take it off and put something better on that's the analogy he's using for us We have new life. What's true of our new life? New life leads to new living. Well, what kind of new living? Well, the kind of new living that's different from the old, different from the world, and the kind of living that we're pressing into regularly that is characterized by taking off and putting on. Listen to me, as you think about your life this week, there's a sense which you can think about your walk with Jesus in this way. There's some things I'm gonna have to fight against, some things I'm gonna have to take off, and there's gonna be some things I need to put on. I'm asking you today to give consideration to what are those things, because we all have them. And just in case you're not sure what they might be, Paul gives you a brief list here as he wraps up this section, and I love this, all right? So Paul's like, okay, maybe you're not sure what some of these things might be. Let let me break them down for you. Therefore, okay, now we're connected to what he just said. So check this out. Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we're members of one another. Be angry, here's the second one. Be angry, but don't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. There's two. How about another one? Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he's to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. How about another one? This is four, no foul language should come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. How about another one? Here's five, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Okay, how about, you ready for this? Shotgun approach. Buckle up and let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Unity and purity. Paul's saying you're a new person. You are, you, you are literally made new from the inside out and God's working in you now every single day to increase the new and, and decrease the old. And so you and I have a part to play in that. We gotta put off the old, put on the new, stop tethering our identity to who we used to be in high school, who we used to be in college, who we used to be before we knew Jesus and start pressing into who God through Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit has saved us to be, right? That's what we're called to. Oh man, it's good. And so let me hit the, let me hit the shotgun here pretty fast. This is, uh, this, is, this is super cool, okay? We don't have time to run through every single one at length, but let me just hit a few of these. First of all, okay, if you're making notes, just, just, just jot these down. These are really helpful. Paul mentions them for a reason. First of all, he says, put off deceitfulness, right? Put on truthfulness. I love that. Can you imagine, just think, just think about this for a second. Can you imagine a world with no political deception. Every leader has your best interest in mind and speaks the truth. All right, you can't imagine it. Okay, but but if it were possible, I mean, can you, ima- can you, imagine, can you imagine a workplace, no lies, no cover-ups, no stabbing in the back, can you imagine a marriage, no stretching the truth? Can you imagine a church, no pretense? Like you ever think about the impact of what Paul says, putting away deception, putting on truthfulness, all the implications of that? This is massive. Paul's saying, if you're a new man, new woman in Christ, listen to him. Put away deception. Speak truth with each other. Be honest. Be gracious. This is something repeated throughout scripture. Proverbs 22, lying lips are detestable to the Lord, but faithful people are his delight. Psalm 101, no one who acts deceitfully will live in my palace. The one who tells lies will not be retained here to guide me. Paul says, put off deceitfulness, put on truthfulness. Second, let's break this down. He says, put off what I call corrupt anger, put on controlled anger. You see, there are some things in the world today that we should be angry about. Anger as an emotion is not sinful. Paul doesn't say you should never be angry. In fact, there are some things you should be angry about. Here's what he says. Your anger should not come out of you in such a way that it's characteristic of the old man. It's retaliatory, um, it's destructive, it's divisive. No, he's saying in your anger, do not sin, do not give the devil an opportunity, don't harbor it, don't dwell on it, don't become bitter in it, deal with it, address it, control it. The Spirit's giving you that power, right? God's created us with emotions and there are times that, that the emotion of anger is appropriate, right? There, there are things that we should be legitimately angry and bothered about because they, they they reflect evil and brokenness in our world. And so so that's a righteous anger, right? But he's saying there's an unrighteous anger that manifests itself in destruction and division. And so, He's saying that can manifest itself in the church where there's division and brokenness. So, so he's saying, don't let your anger be indicative of the old man. The new man has an anger that doesn't destroy him or her or anyone else. Right, Proverbs 29 says this, I love this. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. James one says this, my dear brothers and sisters understand this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Paul echoes that here. What's a part of putting off the old and putting on the new? Well, we're gonna put off deceit. We're gonna put on truthfulness. We're gonna put off corrupt anger. We're gonna put on controlled anger. Third, check this out. Paul says, in essence, put off greed, put on generosity. He's got this statement about the thief, right? Like, like um, don't, don't let, don't let the, the thief steal. The thief no longer steal. In other words, don't, don't take shortcuts. Like work is not a result of a broken world. Work is God's design for us. Work hard. But then he adds, I love this. He adds that in our work, we should work in part to be a blessing to those around us. We don't just work to accumulate. No, we work as Christ followers to invest in eternal purposes. And and here, what Paul is saying is that the the one who's stealing, taking shortcuts, not working hard, that needs to come to an end. That's not consistent with with the new man. Man, hard work is consistent with the new man. Taking responsibility for your life and your actions, consistent with the new man. I'm talking to all of you who would like to date my daughters. That's who I'm talking to right now. Hard work is a part of the new man. Responsibility, a part of the new man. Laziness is not a part of the new man. Shortcuts, not a part of the new man. But in our work, in our dedication, look at what Paul says. You work in part so that you could have something to share with those in need, generous. What did Jesus say? It's better to give than to receive. Like, this is the heart of God, that we be a blessing to others as he's been a blessing to us. So so Paul's saying, look, what's part of the new man? You're not just working for yourself, you're working to be a blessing to others, right? Proverbs 11, 25 says this, a generous person will be enriched and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. Second Corinthians nine, you will be enriched in every way for all of your generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. And so we see this throughout human history that Generosity is the heart of God. So we put off deception, we put on truthfulness. We put off contemptuous anger, we put on controlled anger. We put off um, greed and laziness and we put on generosity and hard work. What's next? Fourth, we put off discouragement, we put on encouragement. This is a tough one. This this hits every single one of us. Paul Paul says, I love this, no foul language should come out of your mouth, but only that which is good for building up others. Now we often quote this verse of scripture to our kids saying you shouldn't use curse words. Okay, that's that's a good word. Listen, this is way more encompassing than that. Paul is saying here, your words should be used to build others up, not tear others down. You say, you know what? I don't cuss. I'm a good Christian, I don't cuss. No, but you spend all week pressing into rumors that aren't true, tearing others down to prop yourself up. Let me tell you something, I'd rather you cuss than do that. Did I just say that out loud? I'm not sure I can. Somebody's gonna clip that, that's gonna be a problem for me down the road. (laughs) Here's my point, like you're driving down the road, somebody cuts you off and you let some word out you shouldn't say, okay, but Uh, Let me tell you what's far more destructive than that. I'm not saying either is good. I'm just saying, you know what's far more destructive? The kind of talk and communication that creates division in the church and tears others down. I'm telling you, I've met a lot of Christians over the years walking around proud, like, hey, I I don't use curse words. You know what Paul says, don't let any foul language come out of your mouth. Listen, the foul language he's referring to is not just an individual word here and there. He's talking about the kind of communication that's divisive and destructive. And I have... I've been around enough Christians over the years, you have too. This is a massive problem. That sits home with every single one of us. And look what he's saying, the new man is not um the, the kind of man, so to speak, that's tearing others down. Paul the word foul there is literally the word rotten. It, 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 it presses into like the image of a of a rotten piece of fruit or something like that, right? It's 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 something that, that's 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 unwholesome, like something that's poisonous. And, and and here's what he's saying: like the new man should always be working to combine what? Both purity and unity. It's not just about a word here or there, this is about the kind of speaking that is reflective of selfishness and division. Paul's saying, you gotta put that off and put on what? Building others up. Hey, let me give you a few Proverbs here. I love this. Proverbs 15, the tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. Proverbs 16, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body. Proverbs 12, anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. Again, this is about more than just avoiding curse words. It's about using your words in a way that's reflective of the joy of Christ and the unity of the church. And I'll give you one key example here. I've mentioned this before. I just can't get away from it here. It's one of my favorite people in the New Testament, this guy named Barnabas. I mean, literally the dude was so encouraging to others that the apostles gave him the name encouragement. And isn't it true that every single one of us need people in our lives that are always making deposits, not withdrawals. Those are the kinds of people we like to hang out with. And this guy, Barnabas, this is amazing. Like literally the apostles was like, dude, you're so encouraging. We're, we're gonna start calling you encouragement, <laughs> son of encouragement. I mean, that's amazing. And and I think it goes along with what Paul is suggesting here. We put off discouragement, put on encouragement. And then then finally, let me just kind of categorize the shotgun at the very end of the section here. Last one, we put off retaliation, we put on reconciliation. I think that's the heart of what he's saying here. What is he talking about here? Put off bitterness and anger and wrath, uh, ungodly anger, of course, shouting, slander. He's kind of weaving a bunch of the previous takeaways together here, right? He's saying all that should be removed along with malice, be kind, compassionate to each other, forgiving as God has forgiven you in Christ. And so we put off retaliation, we put on reconciliation, be gracious as much as we can, be unifying, have hard conversations to come together and and, and be reminded that the person most negatively impacted by bitterness and malice is the one who's harboring them. (laughs) And so, man, you look through this last section of Ephesians four, he's talked about unity. Now he's talking about purity, but you can see how it connects together, and it's like like Paul's saying, quit going through life with your high school letterman jacket on. The things that were true of you before you became a Christian, the things that were true of you early in your life, after you became a Christian, should no longer be true of you right now. You are new. You've been made new in Christ, brought to life, right? Made alive, raised up, seated in heavenly places. And who you are now is not who you used to be. And so how's God gonna work in the world through our witness? Well, it's gonna be a unified witness, but it needs to be a witness that's pure and holy and honoring to him that stands out from the rest of the world. A witness where we're putting off the old, putting on the new, and we're doing our very, very best to press into who God has created and saved us to be.